0: Are You Just Watching? is supported by your dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Tim Martin, Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching? please go to patreon.com slash areyoujustwatching. Show notes for this episode can be found at areyoujustwatching.com slash 62. just watching episode 62, Kubo and the Two Strings. Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: And we just decided to do something a little bit different. We have done some of these kind of movies before, but nothing from a Japanese or Eastern philosophy standpoint before. And this one is steeped in it.
1: Oh, very much so. It's... (laughs) Heavy with the Buddhism.
0: Yes. Not
1: to say Buddha was heavy, but he was. I I mean, I don't know. Um, But yeah, heavy with the Buddhism.
0: I don't even know that it's necessarily Buddhism. It's just a lot of Eastern philosophy, which Buddha is a part of. Um,
1: I I tracked down most of the references. Oh, really? uh, uh, I thought it was the Lantern Festival, but it turns out. It's something called uh, Oban, which is a very specific festival having to do with uh, lanterns and the spirits uh, and helping the spirits of your deceased going on. And it's practiced. Uh, it started with Buddhism, mm, okay. but it's practiced all around the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I even think it's, there's some similarities in some of the pagan practices adopted by Catholicism. Yeah. Um, there's, there's some in that too, two, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, there's a lot to discuss in this movie, but before we get too much into it, we should obviously, uh, talk about it from a non-spoiler point of view for the few, who, I
1: suppose,
0: the few who might have not seen the movie yet, though I, I would imagine that most people who are going to tune in to listen to this episode have probably already seen the movie yeah. or are not intending to see it one or the other.
1: Yeah, this is this is really one of those polarizing movies. It's either the trailer seems to grab you or it doesn't. Right. And if it doesn't grab you, you're you're like, nah, I don't want to spend my time on it. Right. That's well, the way my daughter was. Yeah.
0: Well, I would not have even thought about going to see it if you hadn't mentioned it as a possibility for the podcast. So I'm kind of glad you did because it was a good experience. And um, before we get too far, I do want to mention the music. Uh, new hmm. composer for us, it's Dario Marianelli, another Italian, believe it or not.
1: What is it with those Italians and music? It's I don't just know.
0: crazy. It was a very haunting uh, score, uh, very uh, Asian feeling uh, in places, but Western enough that we can enjoy it because I think a lot of Asian music sounds very discordant to the Western ear. It, so
1: it did have some Beatles in there.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, uh, oh, I didn't even mean that pun. It has a Beatles song written by George Harrison in it. Whoops! I guess you'll have to go see the movie now to see why we're finding that funny. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, but yeah, the well, I'll just play a little bit. <laughs> Play a little bit of the music here the music is not that funny but
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't know how i missed that beetle thing before it should have grabbed right onto that
0: now the um beyond the music the animation in this movie was absolutely spectacular it's a work of art that's worth Mm -hmm. seeing even if you don't agree with anything in the story or the movie it's a work of art to watch
1: yeah the studio that does it uh lake high i think is how you say Mm -hmm. their name um, they put out some great work before, and and this is certainly a continuation of of that tradition for mm-hmm. them.
0: Yeah, it's a puppet stop motion art artistry, um, which is kind of a dying art, I think. And it takes mm. hundreds and hundreds of hours because they have to move each puppet just little tiny. Uh, yeah. Amount, and then take another picture, and then take another
1: picture, and then take another.
0: Can you imagine how long it would take to do just one That's scene? That's
1: dedication. That
0: is, and I saw. Um, we'll have to put it in the show notes, but I found a video online that showed some of the artistry behind that, like behind the scenes footage of them designing mm-hmm. and the the embroidering all of the the clothing that are on the puppets, and it's just everything was hand done. A good bit yeah. of it was, and that's why when I was watching the movie, I hadn't really realized that going into the movie, how much art, artistry was involved there. And I kept thinking, it's like, this is the weirdest looking animation I've ever seen. You know?
1: <laughs> oh, were you thinking it was computer, all computer generated, yeah, were hand-drawn or something?
0: Yeah, I think so. It, it just hadn't really um, impacted me how it was made prior yeah. to seeing, because I really didn't know anything about the movie when I went in to watch it. And I didn't pre-research it at all. And... So that was a little bit of a shock, but it truly is an artistic piece just to watch.
1: It's no argument, no <laughs> argument at all. I, I really, I've always enjoyed that style of animation, and it's actually uh, what drew me to the film in the first place. And I, mm-hmm. uh, when I first saw the first teaser trailer, or what it was, whatever it was, a couple months ago or almost a year ago, I guess, um, I thought it would be, you know, telling a traditional. Uh, Chinese or Japanese uh, fable, folk tale, something like that. Didn't realize it was going to be an all-new story, uh, but it definitely it still feels very traditional. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that is because it's so heavily steeped in Eastern
0: mysticism.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well,
0: it's interesting because I had actually put in my notes here that it reminded me of two different brands of movies. The first one was Spirited Away. I don't know whether you ever saw that movie.
1: I've heard it, but I I can't think of it.
0: Yeah, it's it's a um anime movie that was made many years ago now it's got a very asian story to it that is almost hard to follow from a western point of view Mm. and it's almost confusing because you get to the end and you're like what happened i'm kind of a little bit huh Mm. but it's got a very beautiful form of animation in it and i mean it's anime it's classic anime it's a very interesting movie this kind of reminded me a little bit of it just more in the in the type Story. It's
1: by, uh, I can never say his name, <laughs> Heiyu <you>, mm, Miyazaki, <laughs> who's supposed to be a very famous one. My daughter's uh, very much into anime. And yeah. she could, If she were not at work right now, she would probably be slapping me on the back of the head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> then the other stories this kind of reminded me of were um, the movies Hero and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. which are both Chinese folklore, but they're very similar in their storytelling to, yeah. to to this one. And But they are not real accessible to kids. They're long, very slow movies, um, and I don't think children would be able to sit through them. And they're also very violent, <laughs> both of them. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. just a little bit. Um, no. Well,
1: this, this film has its share of violence. Yes,
0: it does. In fact, I would not recommend this for young children at all. Uh, yeah. I was surprised to see it had PG. I would think it would be closer to PG-13, honest.
1: I was uh, When I was going through your show notes, uh, I was an overwhelming theme that I was getting uh, on my second viewing, which I very rarely get to do, was uh, that the level of violence in this world... Appears to be integrated into their reality,
0: their culture. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, I mean, the violence that it presents in the movie is just like, bleh, to to the characters. It's normal.
0: Well, the interesting thing about the drawing a parallel with Hero and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is that uh, I remember when I first started watching those movies, my dad couldn't stand them. He was like, I don't get it. You know, people flying around in the air and all these sword (laughs) fights and the trees, and it makes no sense to me. And I'm like. But technically, those are Eastern folk heroes or what we would consider um, superheroes. Yeah. And we don't think anything of Superman flying around or the Incredible Hulk bouncing around on buildings or <laughs> um, Captain America being able to, you know, catch things with his shield. And
1: Their superheroes just happen to be monks. <laughs>
0: It's a different kind of culture, so their superheroes appear differently, but that's what these stories are, is they're superhero stories. Yeah. And so the level of violence that we put up with in our superhero stories is pretty excessive when you stop and think about it. It's the same way in Eastern culture.
1: Oh, yeah. It's – I mean, I think we had a discussion back there for one of the Marvel films Mm -hmm. on the level of destruction that happens – And how nobody seems to focus on, you know, the the impact that that destruction has on uh, the everyday Joe or Jill on the street.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's something that I think we overlook when we're looking at stories from other cultures. It's like, yeah, this is an animated movie. It seems to be aimed at children Mm -hmm. um, at the level of violence. It wasn't so much the violence that I found to be. Uh, so much a problem for the children because I think a lot of our kids nowadays are pretty immune to violence it's in everything yeah. um well,
1: desensitized they're
0: de- yeah they're desensitized to it I think the thing that bugged me was there were a lot of really scary scenes
1: in this movie what um, a giant skeleton with uh, sword sticking uh, that the, the, we're in the non-spoiler section I'm sorry I think that's in the trailer
0: yeah well they well I know one of the things that's in the trailer is that f- the freaky mm-hmm. daughters of the moon king <laughs> Those things are scary. Yes. <laughs> and the way they talk without moving their lips. And of course, they have masks on, but it's, it's, they're, they, I mean, I, I'm an adult and they freaked me out. So I can't imagine what it'd be like. It'd be nightmare producing for kids.
1: Yeah. It's the, the woman who did it, uh, Rooney Mara, she did both voices. Mm hmm and uh she did <laughs> they, i don't know if it was direction or her choice or whatever but it, it, she did a really good job
0: well the the whole presentation it even isn't so much the voice as the whole presentation of it they're just scary mm. for me the most childhood nightmarish thing that i ever saw in a movie was the wicked witch was flying around the house in the wizard of oz during the tornado oh <laughs> and i think when i was a kid that just scared me to death these two witches in this movie are a hundred times scarier than the witch (laughs) in the wizard of oz so i would say uh if you have a child that's very sensitive to visually stimulating horrific stuff i would not take them to this movie because there is a lot of it it's scary (laughs) yeah um other than that i don't really know that there's much more we can say about this movie without starting to give spoilers
1: Yeah, maybe we should jump to the uh, free-to-spoil section.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yes. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you don't want anything spoiled, this is a good time to turn us
1: off, go see the movie, and come back. We we do recommend seeing the movie, though, Yeah, Uh, particularly because it is a good story, uh, but you have to think critically about it. A
0: beautiful work of art, but be prepared – to answer questions about eastern mysticism and buddhism if you take your kids to go mm-hmm. see it because one of the things that we really want to challenge you about as christian viewers of secular entertainment that's the whole point of this <laughs> podcast um is to remember that you need to watch critically and be prepared to answer and see the influences of the of whatever culture is in you know embedded in the movie and be able to answer questions, uh, to your, your own questions or the questions of your family uh, yeah. in regards to what they get exposed to when they watch the movie.
1: And as always, we recommend going over to, uh, to a, a good review site like plugged mm-hmm. and checking out the, uh, the review for, uh, for this movie, because it does include some stuff in the in there and can raise some uncomfortable questions. So mm-hmm. prepare yourself, arm yourself and, uh, and be ready to answer the questions because the questions are not bad.
0: No, no questioning is not bad. And we're actually going to answer, I think a few of them in our discussion. So mm-hmm. um, why don't we go ahead and dive in? Where would you like to start
1: first? Well, um, you know what, let let's start with the armor because uh, it's first in the notes mm-hmm. and uh, it jumped out at me as the, most, uh, most obvious tie-in. Right, easiest you know. parallel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, uh, I realized uh, something about the armor, and, and we'll get to that part at the end of the discussion.
0: Sure, sure. Um,
1: but uh, so the movie uh, actually features this, they call it the armor, but it's actually three pieces, a sword, a breastplate, and a helmet. Mm-hmm. The sword unbreakable, the breastplate impenetrable, and the helmet invulnerable.
0: And the story is basically a quest because uh, in, most, in most quests, uh, the hero is seeking um, something. And in this movie, he's seeking this armor, which I found interesting when I went to the IMDB site. The uh, commentary they gave about the movie said that the Kubo was seeking his father's armor. And that's mm-hmm. not true. I was like, they got that wrong because he was seeking the armor that his father was seeking. And his father never found it all.
1: Well, you know, his father must have found the helmet. Well, his father knew where it was. He, yeah. he just never retrieved it, I guess. Yeah.
0: His father was seeking it. And that was why the Moon King had sent the daughters, his right. daughters after him to stop him. Because in the story they even said it that, that the armor was considered a threat to the heavens that if any person who pursued it would be hunted down and destroyed.
1: Right. Why because not? It w- you wouldn't want them just going and grabbing the armor for themselves or destroying the, the moon king wouldn't just destroy the armor, because that would make too much sense.
0: No. No, or hiding it where mortals couldn't get it. I
1: right, mean right. if you put it, it got, on the moon, mortals
0: it, couldn't get it, right? I mean otherwise
1: how could they get such a great story out of it? Yeah
0: uh oh, we're we're trying to be logical here
1: yeah it's crazy
0: uh, so of course, the obvious parallel is um uh, the armor of God, which is completely different than what is presented in this in this mm-hmm. movie, but I figured uh, we're always trying to apply scripture to here, and that's the easy scripture to apply to yeah so yeah. i'll go ahead and read it 's ephesians uh six ten through eighteen. with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplications for all the saints this is interesting because they had three pieces of armor in theirs those three pieces if you looked at the armor of god would be the breastplate of righteousness the the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and the helmet of salvation mm. those would those would be the three pieces of the armor of god that would correspond with the pieces yeah. That are in Kubo and the two strings. <laughs> Salvation, the word of God and righteousness. They're completely different things than what we see in Kubo.
1: Yeah. It's, I, think, I think the only relation uh, between the armor of God and the armor and the story of Kubo and the two strings is just the common metaphor of uh, being equipped for the job at hand. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know that.
0: Uh, oh, I'm that not there's... saying there was any specific yeah. parallel there. I, obviously the people who made this movie are not thinking in Christian terms at all.
1: Right. So I, I wouldn't I, expect I'm, there I'm to more, be. <laughs> I'm more thinking along the lines of, uh, you know, in, in these in this type of story, this quest type of story, um, each item is supposed to counter s- something very specific on the uh, the final villain. And I might be thinking computer games as much as anything. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the sword unbreakable, at no point does the Moon King ever try to break the sword or does the Moon King seem to break the sword?
0: It just seems to be an easy way for them to figure out which sword's the right one.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And the only time the issue of the unbreakable sword comes up is when they're looking for the sword. They're breaking all the other ones.
0: Right. Right. I thought Uh, that was absolutely
1: hilarious and the same thing for the impenetrable breastplate and the invulnerable helmet their attributes never really play into the story so what i i was thinking maybe there's a an a tie to the eastern how the name would be in the uh japanese or chinese language i think this is um japanese
0: yes it's movie. japanese mm-hmm. okay yeah
1: um so maybe it, it's the poetic names and the poetry is what matters. Um, but uh, the sort of the same way that the uh, the named attributes of the three items didn't play in, none of the items actually played into the final defeat of the Moon King. And I don't know, I, I don't want to say it's uncommon that that's the case. But I felt like I was sort of cheated.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I, I thought that kind of when he was taking the armor off there at the end, it was like, "Now wait a minute. You went to all that trouble to find all of those pieces and, and then you end up shedding them at the end and yeah. creating your own weapon, which we'll discuss when we get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, he yeah, he it ended was up just, not actually using it.
1: The, the whole quest to get these three items was just a cover story. To tell the, uh, to provide the information to the main character that he would use to s- defeat the Moon King in his own way. Right.
0: Right. And he already had his own power. He was trying to develop the power of a samurai to face his foe as a samurai. But mm-hmm. he wasn't a samurai. He never had been. He wasn't raised and trained that way. That wasn't where his power was. And I think that, that I, it was very interesting that the whole object of the quest ends up being discarded yeah so yeah i definitely see your point there the other thing that i kind of thought of is that this is this movie is kind of indicative of all the other religions of the world other than christianity and that you reach your power your goals spiritual goals or whatever it might be through your own quest your own power your own um,
1: yeah effort yeah this part is very Buddhist Yes, uh, uh, enlightenment and, and all that. The three, right. I didn't put it in, in our show outline, but three keeps coming up a lot <laughs> in this movie. Right. Wow. And as I thought about it, it was more and more. And, uh, I didn't, I don't know much about Buddhism, but I did learn about the three jewels, mm-hmm. which is basically the three refuges, uh, where it's like uh, uh, references to three important people in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So I guess three is a pretty big deal in Buddhists.
0: Well, it's a big number in Christianity too. Yeah. But, uh three is is a is the ultimate prime, I think. Um, mm. But anyway, it's uh, one of the things that it really differs between with Christianity over all the other religions, and I and I mean all religions, because in all other religions you have to work your way to God. And in Christianity, it's the only faith that is based on God closing the gap because he, we are not capable of doing it. And everything that we have in Christianity, our salvation is a gift. Our God's grace is is undeserved. His mercy is undeserved. Salvation is a gift. The Holy Spirit is something that indwells us on, at, through the power of God. It has nothing to do with us or or. You know, even being anything that we do to deserve mm-hmm. it, it's, it's completely undeserved. And in this movie, we, we see him going on a quest and he's obtaining through virtue and he's fighting against um, these demigods um, who feel threatened. And our God is completely all powerful. He has no reason to ever feel threatened by anything we do. Yeah. And, and so it's, it, to me, it's just uh, a beautiful way of, of showing why Christianity is better. Because yeah. we don't, we don't have to do any of that. And we actually referred to this passage in our, our last episode, but I want to read it again. Um, cause we didn't actually read it in the last episode. We just referred to it. This is yeah. Ephesians two, one through 10. This is one, I think one of the most beautiful passages in the new Testament. not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that, that beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> and that's 2-8 two,
1: two is one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, is that it's not anything we do. It says it's not a result of anything we do, so that we can't boast about it. It's all for God's glory, because yeah. he did it all.
1: Yeah, I guess that plays into how Kubo dropped all these mystic items at the end. And, uh, you know, it's all in him. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all on him. Right. Uh, but can you imagine if we as Christians, you know, went through all the trouble to to don the armor of God. And then as we stood facing the greatest challenge, the greatest assault by Uh, the prince of lies. We lay it down. Yeah. We we set it all aside. You know what? I can handle this.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Christians do that a lot. Uh, It's kind of like when somebody challenges you, like an atheist challenges you to, you know, a debate or something, but they want you to leave the Bible. It's like the Bible. If you look at that passage about the armor of God, the Bible is our sword. Would Mm -hmm. any warrior go into battle by first by laying a sword down? Yeah. It's like, it's ridiculous. Why would we go into any debate and leave the Bible out?
1: That, that's that's the thing is that they don't, uh, atheists in general won't accept the Bible as authoritative.
0: But that doesn't mean that we don't.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we, we can't even, <laughs> to, to have a good discussion, you have to start with common ground.
0: Right. And you can't lay down the Bible. You yeah. simply can't because that's laying down your only weapon. Mm-hmm. Interesting way of looking at it that, that, as Christians, we cannot put our armor down and try and think we can reason our way through things without God. God yeah. is, is the ultimate truth.
1: And, you know, you think back, uh, you look back at uh, the Old Testament and even fully armored, and, and I'm pretty sure we discussed this in the last episode, too, for that matter. <laughs> uh, it, it really is not our arms or our armor. That decide the battle. In any case, mm-hmm, right. The armor is to help us understand the battle and uh, to help prepare us. God doesn't need us to be wearing the armor. We need us
0: to be wearing to the- learn
1: to trust God. Right. All right. I think uh, I think we've uh,
0: covered that fairly well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Let, let's let's go on to the uh, the most eastern part of oh yeah uh, the movie.
0: Right um that this was um one that it kind of flowed through the whole movie it was one of the underlying themes of having lost a loved one because Kubo has lost his father right and he only he's been raised by his mother who is as I think you pointed out in some of your notes um not there really
1: no (laughs) no she she very much shows the symptoms of uh in the modern world, we would call it Alzheimer's.
0: I think it was because she hit her head because they made the point at the yeah. beginning of showing how she hit her head on the rock. And, Brain damage. Yeah. And and the weird thing about that is I, I kind of leaned over and uh, talked to the lady that had gone to see the movie with me. I was like, how did he even get as old as he is? I mean, he was a helpless baby. Exactly. <laughs> I, was I was like,
1: same thing. <laughs>
0: um, how did he get to the point where he was taking care of her if she's been like that since, you know, anyway. Um, where I am trying to be logical. Let us not use
1: logic. It was an important part of the story that she be, uh, a twilight mother.
0: Yes. And, and the thing was, is that made him seek out his father, which was the kind of the pivot point of the story because he had been given the rules by his mother that he was to always keep the, the little monkey charm with him, that he was Mm -hmm. never to be out past sunset. And I forgot what the third one was.
1: he always had to wear his father's robe. Oh, he
0: always had to wear his father's robe, right? Yep. But because he always had to be back at sunset, he couldn't partake in the community's festivals. And one Mm -hmm. of these was the festival of the the lanterns. And that one was a ritual in which they would pray um, to their dead and their dead loved ones and uh, Asked them to light the lantern and with their spirit, and then they would set the spirit out on, on the river for it to, I guess, float away. Is indicative to the next yeah, they, life. they
1: they were helping the spirit get to quote wherever it needed to go end quote. <laughs> right. So glad they have that. Uh, they have that certainty in their afterlife.
0: Yes. <laughs> and and that afterlife thing was mentioned a lot through the movie it had it wasn't even just the lanterns it was the the continual reference to the ending of stories mm-hmm. because they likened a person's existence to a story and every, and as kubo tells the the moon king at one point is every story has an ending and in in reference to the mortal existence every mortal life has an end
1: yeah but it, you you point out that uh, he never actually finishes his stories. <laughs> know. It, it, the old lady complains about that in the mm-hmm. beginning of the film.
0: Right. I, I think there's a bit of a paradox. Actually, there's probably several paradoxes in this movie, but that's the biggest one is they're, they're, the paradox of whether stories should have endings or whether stories don't have endings. Yeah. Because um, the beetle, who is actually uh, Kubo's father, tells the um, dying monkey, who is actually Kubo's mother. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Did we mention we're in the spoilers section?
0: <laughs> um, that her story would never end because her story would live on in Kubo. Yeah. And so there's this concept of that m- the memories of our loved ones live on in us. And I think we've dealt with this in other um, podcast episodes before.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's actually in this one, it specifically addresses it. Uh, Kubo at the, in the final battle, he calls the memories the most
0: uh powerful magic the most
1: powerful magic
0: mm-hmm. and and that is to me I, I was actually thinking that's actually a little bit scary from a standpoint of um what if you're you know you're an adult who's who outlives all of their children mm-hmm. um what happens to you when you die if you don't have children to carry on your memory yeah and
1: uh, then you didn't exist at all you didn't exist did at all trip. yeah yeah mhm <laughs>
0: And and that's kind of disheartening to think about. And it and it happens more than you would think that that adults live out their children and it's sad when it happens.
1: Does isn't the root of the um, afterlife philosophy for most Eastern religions continual reincarnation until you reach uh, no, a, that's I hin- guess a nirvana state?
0: That's Hinduism. Okay. So you're mixing your Asian religions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Silly of me.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, Hinduism believes in constant reincarnation. I, my guess is based on what I've seen in, in this movie is that it's not necessarily reincarnation. It's um, just a beginning of another story kind of in, an, in another realm or another
1: life. Alternate Earth.
0: An, 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 yeah. But yeah, this, um, this to me, this puts quite a bit of burden on, on the living to make sure their ancestors have access to the afterlife.
1: It puts all the burden on them.
0: Yeah. I mean, because if, if you've somehow failed to, I guess, pray the spirit into the lantern and release the lantern, I mean, you're basically dooming your loved one to what? I don't quite understand. But Yeah.
1: It, it, I think it's safe to point out that there are people who have—they've gotten doctorate degrees on understanding the— <laughs> the history and application of eastern philosophies Mm -hmm. and they still don't understand it either so we're not going to understand it just from google
0: no well and i don't really want to understand it to that level but needless to say this movie is steeped in it and you need to be able to at least address some of this the um the other thing i saw and i had mentioned this earlier was that there definitely is a bit of a parallel there with um some of the some of catholics i won't say all catholics but uh, it's mm. kind of part of the catholicism to pray your loved ones out of purgatory and granted i don't even really understand catholicism to a great deal um we've we've kind of come against it in another podcast before and and took a little bit of flack on, on feedback for that but that's
1: okay we like we, <laughs> we like, like feedback, feedback even, even if it is flack yes
0: <laughs> But the the issue I see with a lot of Catholicism and and I think it's especially really bad here in the Caribbean, um, here in the on the in the western countries. I is- was gonna ask if you moved. <laughs> no well the the um, Catholicism, because of the kind of enforced conversion they did a lot on a lot of the native peoples in mm-hmm. in south yeah. South America and Central America um, they adopted in a lot of paganism pagan tradition into the Catholic Church in order to make these people feel comfortable um, in with Catholicism and so there 's a lot of practices in Catholicism that are actually pagan in origin, and right. it 's sad that so much of it has become stock to the church you know it's like a stock tradition you do this and you do that and you do this and none of it's biblical if you go and look in the bible none of it's there <laughs> and yeah. and and they rely heavily on these traditions in order to make uh converts out of people who are perfectly comfortable with their own pagan religions and they didn't need catholic monks coming and forcing them to go to mass mm-hmm. every saturday and so I think that this kind of this idea of purgatory and praying to your loved ones uh, to get them out of purgatory—none of that's biblical—but it's a stock in the church, in the Catholic Church, that I think has come out of some pagan practices that they have pulled in um, from people that they forced converted, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I can see where some of this may even have come from pulling in people of Eastern faiths. The other thing that kind of comes out of this is that whole concept of ritual, and there's a lot of ritual in the Old Testament, and, and really our faith in Jesus Christ kind of did away with ritual, and the passage that would come to mind for that is Hebrews nine twenty three through 28, and this is in reference specifically to the rituals of the priests in the temple. And the things that they had to go through to obtain salvation, um, which it wasn't really salvation; it was just a um, practices that kind of were uh, filling the gap until Jesus came, and and that's what this passage is about. But in a way, it kind of talks about all spiritual, mystical ritual because it's it's showing how inadequate that stuff is. Um, right. Well, that,
1: that exactly that was the entire point of the ritual: is uh, to demonstrate that no matter how much you do it it's not going to be sufficient.
0: Right. So here, here's the passage. It's Hebrews 9, 23 through 28. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the high places every year with blood not of his own for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of all the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And there's two things in that. Number one is that, He's the ultimate sacrifice. He did away with the ritual that was necessary to um, to create that copy of salvation prior to Christ. But it also says in this passage, it is appointed for man once to die. So there, that right there is the the answer to mm-hmm. all, everyone who believes in something other than an, an eternal yeah. afterlife.
1: Yeah, other options.
0: Other options, yeah, <laughs> like reincarnation or any of the others. So we kind of dealt with two topics at once with this because we were talking about the the ritual, the prayers of the living for the dead or to the dead. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure whether they were praying to the dead or praying for the well, dead. Well, or- it was
1: – during that scene, there's uh, a, a father who is played by George Takai uh, tells – A little girl, yeah. <laughs> I assume his, his daughter uh, – uh, during the while they're praying at a tombstone, which I expect is the father's mother, uh, ask her spirit to honor us with its light. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it, that was imp- important to establish a metaphor of the lanterns and the spirits, and t- to tie into the the gold herons at the end. Mm-hmm. But um, in this case, I think it was as uh, as much a reference to the Oban ritual as it was. Uh, uh, a placeholder for the movie.
0: Mhm. And then you you tie all that back into the whole story thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of um not separable. I mean they they kind yeah. of go together in the story um that it's a story. Um ha- <laughs> thankfully this story had an end. So <laughs> Kubo did Kubo and the Two Strings did have an ending which was nice because Yeah. Kubo's stories never did. Um the um, but yeah, the the paradox I was talking to bef- about before is that um, Kubo never ends his stories. Yeah, he tells his grandfather that all stories have endings, mm-hmm. and yet the beetle assures the monkey that her story will not end. And so I kind of was stuck wondering: so is it that stories don't have an ending, or that stories do have an ending, or yeah, <laughs> they don't really That's, ever?
1: <laughs> you know, with with Kubo not ending his stories, so the the one instance that is shared with the viewer. Uh, he is interrupted by the, the ringing of the bell, and he has to get home in order to uh, to abide by the... Curfew. Yeah, the curfew, exactly. Yeah, he
0: had a curfew. Um, the other thing that was I thought was interesting is directly following that, we saw his mother come to life and start telling him stories about his father, mm-hmm. Hanzo, um, but she never ends them either because she always blanks out, and then he... Right. And and then that's that one in particular instance. Her, you know, she's like in the middle of it, and and, and then she just kind of loses it. And he asks her a question, and she's like, "I don't know." Mm-hmm. And and so I get the feeling that like the stories he tells to the community are versions of the stories that his mama tells him. Yeah, but she never finishes the stories either because she blanks out before she gets to the ending.
1: It, I guess it's showing that he is indeed a storyteller, but a storyteller who'd never. Uh, either has the chance or has the desire to finish uh, to finish his stories.
0: And he says later on, I think he, he makes the comment that his stories are kind of long. And, and in a way that they set this movie up is that it's him telling the story. So the fact that this story has an end means that he does eventually end the story.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it actually does open with the framing of him telling the mm-hmm. story. Yeah,
0: it's exactly the way. But he... it doesn't
1: close with the framing, does it?
0: Well, he he goes the the closes him with his parents that we could end the story together because he call, he he calls the spirits of his parents and and says it would make it be a happy, happy ending if we could end the story together. Um, And so I think that that was the end of the story because he he was able to, I guess, access the spirits of his parents, because before that, his father wasn't dead. And that was why. Right. When, when he when he tried to light the lantern with his father's spirit, his father wasn't dead. Mm -hmm. So he he didn't know that his father wasn't dead, but he finds out later, and then his father really is dead by the end of the movie. (gasps) Oh, my.
1: That's terrible. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about – real quick, let's talk about the symbolism of the eye – of the missing eye.
0: And it's interesting, I think, even just the idea of a blind god, too, on top of that.
1: Yeah, and uh, him being – Twice as blind as Kubo, who only has one eye. Right. He sees double the truth.
0: Double the truth, right. And that the the whole point was, I think they said in the movie, they said that his his grandfather wanted his eyes so that he would be just like him.
1: Right. And not be blinded by humanity. Right. Uh, But one thing in particular that that jumps out at me, and it's jumping out at me because I don't know how to apply it, really. Uh, The entire movie... Except for two parts, his hair is covering his eye patch.
0: Yeah, you almost don't even no- notice it through most of the movie. Right? Yeah.
1: It, it, if you didn't look for it, you wouldn't even know it was there. Um, there's the scene in the uh, the whale where um, Monkey fixes—I uh, can't say fixes his hair because it was disgusting. Yeah, um, you know, uh, slicks back his slicks back his hair. And the final scene, when he's standing between the spirits of his mother and father, uh, his hair is back behind his ear. So I really felt like the um, creative team was trying to get something across, and I just wasn't latching on to it. So I'm curious what you thought about that.
0: I, I don't know. I, I, I suspect there some of it was just a level of acceptance. When you cover up a imperfection, it's because you can't accept it. And
1: I yeah I'm sorry go ahead
0: I don't I don't know that that would be it or not I'm just I I I, honestly I didn't really I noticed that it was covered up through most of the movie I didn't notice when it was uncovered so you caught something that I didn't catch Uh, but there definitely was a lot of references to seeing and being blind or Mm -hmm. um, what you use your eyes for and what the eyes are I mean that that was a, a very strong theme through the whole movie and i thought it was interesting did you catch that when he he made his grandfather immortal that he had his vision back was that i couldn't remember whether
1: he had he uh he actually had one of his eyes he had kubo's eye okay um the other eye was uh, was the shading was was the, the gray shade okay um but the and i i actually didn't catch this until my second viewing but the other eye in his head was very clearly the exact same shade as Kubo's uh, remaining eye. Okay, suggesting that it was Kubo's eye. K-
0: Kubo's eye, which would kind of bring your reference then back to why would they reveal the patch at the end? Is to maybe yeah. to draw attention to the fact that when he brought his grandfather into humanity, that he that he was no longer blind.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's interesting that blind. Uh, going back to the idea that blindness helped the grandfather achieved the perfection or whatever it was, um, the perceived perfect perfection. Um, nowhere in this movie was the fact that Kubo, the main character was missing the eye. It was never a disability. No, it was simply a matter of fact. And there's actually a couple, uh, places, one place in particular, in particular, I'm thinking of where they joke about it. Um, where Beetle is teaching Kubo to shoot the bow on the on uh, close your on eye. Oh, lake. I guess
0: you got that covered already. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> uh, I I I sort of liked that. I yeah. liked that they weren't beating around the bush or being PC about it or anything like that. They were just simply accepting it as it was. Right. And they were comfortable enough with it to joke. Right. And I I actually liked that. And I wish. Uh, we saw more of that in in and around uh, our societies today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we're more comfortable with disabilities,
1: or, it, yeah.
0: or not even it's, treating them as disabilities, is just yeah, they differences, they're just it, differences. It, it, yeah, yeah.
1: It's it, um this guy's in a wheelchair. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I struggle with voices in my head. Oh no, wait.
0: <laughs> you didn't want to admit that in a podcast,
1: uh, uh, right? Oh yeah, no, no.
0: It, <laughs> Now, one of the things that Moving I came on. out of this that, that was, you know, interesting is that their gods are not omniscient or omnipotent because mm-hmm. uh, the moon king rules only at night. The whole point of Kuvo being home by not nightfall is that he, if he's out under the night sky, the moon king and, and his daughters would see him. Yep. And so they obviously don't see anything during the day. And so they're not omniscient. They're not all seeing. Um, they're not on, all, not omnipotent. Because they're they're um, they can't actually just reach out and and catch Kubo. They have to go chasing him all over the place, mm-hmm. um, and then they, it always end, ends up being a fight, which they lose, and this little kid wins. Though he really isn't human; he's a demigod. Yep. But there's this whole pantheon of gods in a lot of cultures. It's not just here uh, in in the folktales of uh, Eastern countries, but it's in, you know, the Greek myths and the Roman myths. They always had these massive pantheons of non-omnipotent, non-omniscient gods. Um, They were always uh, jealous of mortals and were always, you know, creating issues because of that jealousy and, I'm just grateful that I do serve an omnipotent, omniscient God. Yeah. Um, in Hebrews four twelve through 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Mm-hmm. So this is the God we serve. We don't have these these like I don't even know that you can technically call them gods because, you know, a God by the definition of the word would be all powerful and all seeing.
1: Yeah. And the Moon King and his and his daughters, I think, are more like uh, fantasy monsters. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely monsters, that's for sure. Did you catch that the the um air dragon that he turns into looks just like the creatures in adventures? Oh,
1: uh, <laughs> no I didn't. I, ah. was looking, I was like uh-oh. That actually uh I I put in my notes and I didn't mention it yet. On in his human form, he has a symbol on his chest.
0: Uh-huh. I didn't Does catch it that. not
1: look? It, it looks exactly like the Death Star. <laughs> I mean, it's even got the offset circle where the the laser comes out. Yeah.
0: I, well, that dragon thing, I, I leaned right over and I was like, "Avengers."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I've I've seen too many movies.
1: <laughs> They're all starting to run together. They're
0: all starting to run together.
1: Let's uh let's jump into the the last and uh, the titular symbolism of the, the two movie. strings yeah yeah um because
0: I could have just called it kubo
1: yeah yeah it's but the
0: it would have been less of a mouthful to be honest <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I walk up to the window i'd like kubo and the two strings please and at least we didn't have to like give the plot to order the tickets i guess <laughs> Yeah. But uh, you, you make a note in here that uh, in, in the end, it's not really about the two strings, but the title Kubo and the two strings is actually the three strings. Right. Kubo is the third string right. and the other mm-hmm. two strings are his mother and his father. Right. So the whole. This is symbolism
0: uh, of you. You never stand alone.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it mm-hmm. ties back into family. hmm. And uh, it's I sort of I sort of like that. Um, Especially when you apply that symbolism back across the entire movie, when Kubo realizes where the last uh, piece of the armor is—the uh, the helm invulnerable or the helmet invulnerable—he uses his uh, his guitar because I can't say the the Japanese word. Shamisen. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, he strums his uh, shamisen to invoke the magic that takes him back to his village. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the process of doing that, he breaks his last string. Mm-hmm. And that last string, the middle string, ends up being Kubo. Mm-hmm. So uh, I liked the symbolism that it put in there about uh, he had to, you know, shuffle off the last piece of what he was uh, in order to uh, lay the groundwork for the final solution, which was uh, stringing, stringing his shim... Shemison. Shemison, Shemison with uh, his mother's hair, his hair, and his – it was actually his father's bowstring, uh, though it's easy to see why we would think it was hair.
0: Yeah, because the other two were hair.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it...
0: But he didn't have hair. <clears throat>
1: yeah, exactly. He's a beetle. He didn't. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's a bowstring. That makes sudden sense. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Could have been an antenna.
1: <laughs> oh, that would have been gross.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's my dad's dead beetle body. <laughs> no, don't see that being in there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, but so I, it's I did think that yeah. <laughs> Hey, at least we have fun with the movie. Yep. Yeah, so there's there's some great symbolism in there. Uh once again it's not Christian symbolism and not very um I mean the the whole point of the movie was in the end was that the memories of those we love make us stronger he's he's able to stand and defeat the the moon king with the aid of the memories of his mother and father and i don't know it's a very unchristian philosophy yeah it's i really couldn't find any parallels in scripture the only thing i could think of was the the hebrews 11 where we have the hall of faith um, but those are all people on whose examples we're supposed to look at as how to demonstrate faith in our lives. It's not like memories of loved ones actually giving us strength kind of thing. Um, so there really isn't anything I could draw as a Christian parallel there. It's very Eastern.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the, it was, uh, it was particularly hard for me on this episode to tie back to, uh, Uh, to tie back to really any scripture simply because it was so the ideas were so foreign. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, that, that's probably a lot on me. Um, I know that there are, uh, folks out there who have a much better understanding of Eastern philosophies than I do. And hopefully, um, If they are listening to the podcast, they will uh, kick in with some, uh, offer some feedback as to symbolism we may have missed or misinterpreted.
0: Yeah. And, and to be honest, you know, that that's kind of really not even the point It's to, to let people know that there is indeed uh, a a bent and a, a underlying theme to this movie that you need to be aware of. Right. and, whether or not you really understand Eastern philosophy or not, you need to be aware that this movie is steeped in it. And -hmm. that if you take your family to see it, that you need to address that with your kids because it's, it's something they present as a very powerful, um, real thing that is actually not that powerful and not that real. And there are whole um, cultures and, and communities that are steeped in this that are lost and going to hell. And I, I mean, frankly, they need the truth and the word of God to give them a real hope that they can rest in. Yeah. Whether or not we can explain Eastern philosophy is really not the point. The point is that we want people that are steeped in this to have access to the gospel.
1: Yeah. Uh, It really ties back into uh, we are not uh, of this world, but we are in it. Right. And we need to be equipped to address the things of this world as we encounter them. Right,
0: exactly. Well, like, like he said, if you have uh, additional thoughts that you would like to share about the movie, you can do that at the show notes, which will be, once again, at com slash 62. And you can also uh, call us at nine zero three two three one two 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 one and leave a voicemail. Or you can email us at feedback at com, And um, any of those means are... Uh, wonderful ways to contact us. We did get some uh, feedback on uh, the Martian episode regarding our discussion on the crucifix. And if we get some Mm -hmm. other feedbacks, we might actually uh, be able to throw together uh, just a little bit of a a feedback episode to kind of discuss that that, the the, the crucifix feedback that we got in addition to maybe some stuff we get on this movie would be great that we we could discuss some of this at length. Mm So we do want you to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Uh, If you can review us, that would be great. Some more up-to-date reviews on iTunes would help uh, get us out there for people to see and draw on new people. We have a new supporter through Patreon, and we are still not up to our uh, full level of support that we're trying to reach. And if we can reach that and possibly beyond, we might be able to start doing more with this podcast than we're currently doing uh, once again, we'll let everybody know that Tim and I are not making money doing this podcast. We're, <laughs> we're, we're doing this as a, a hobby, I guess. Yep. A, kind of an expensive hobby
1: sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh, But we do need uh, finances in order to pay uh, just the overhead of running the podcast. So we, we would appreciate your donation and that to help us keep the podcast going. And when we do thank our new supporter uh, for his uh, monthly support. And I believe that's it. Yep. So thank you so much for listening. This is Eve Franklin.
1: And this is Tim Martin.
0: And don't just watch.
1: Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx, that's noodle.mx.